Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Brenton Not On Tour Quarantine Cast. So far, he's taught you about good coffee. Damn, Jimmy, this is some serious gourmet shit. Good music. I'm like this, you know, and then that becomes your thing. Music just does that. And the secrets to good travel. Exits. Okay, there's one back here. And there's uh, probably one over by the wing somewhere. Now, thanks to COVID-19, he's here to make sure that you're all good during this time of social distancing and self-isolation. So sit back and enjoy as he broadcasts from any number of exotic locations like Costa del Balconia, La Isla del Garage, Playa del Living Room, and the always magical Puerta Bacchiarda. And don't worry, he's already had the coronavirus and beat it. Still, maybe keep a mask handy. Here's BD. Finally. Hello. I think, how's it? I think, I don't know why, but like, you were requesting me and I was accepting the request and then it was not working and then I was like sending you the request at the same time and it was weird. Anyways. <laughs> Technology is a wonderful thing. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me here. It's uh, it's an amazing, uh, I, I, uh, amazing uh, weather here. I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Ooh, all right. So you're up at the top. I thought you were in the west uh, coast of um, of United States. No, I'm up in Canada. I'm up in the good half of North America. <laughs> That's a good one. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I I already told you before, but I love your background. I'm going to get one of those in Amazon. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. I'm happy to be here. It's uh, I'm glad that you started this platform for everyone to uh, to check out and listen to and, and learn some stuff. So hopefully. Uh, yeah, definitely. Especially. Uh, <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> No, you won't. Um, and this is uh, this is being recorded, so later it will be in my IGTV, and in the week, probably like I don't know, at the end of July, it will be in YouTube, so everyone can watch it. Um, oh. But yeah, don't worry, I won't ask things that's too much. <laughs> okay, happy to be here. Happy to be so, here. So yeah, so as I was telling everyone uh, before you joined. Um, yeah, well, you are Brenton uh, Dunley. You've done more than 100 stadium shows, which is a bit much. I don't know how you survived. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, we work towards, you know, working, we work towards doing that level of show when you start out. And then, you know, it's kind of like a, a mission to, to, do stadiums you think when you start doing concerts for a living uh i gotta do stadiums i can't wait to do stadiums and then you realize once you get there that it's um man you just uh, you maybe go back to do a club (laughs) 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 i loved i love uh walking out and and seeing you know eighty thousand or fifty thousand or thirty thousand or whatever we do for that um it's an amazing feeling because all the departments and everyone's come together at the same time to make that show happen and it's a great feeling and everyone has something to do uh that night because of 
uh, you know, because it all came together and it's, it's a great feeling, but it's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a big machine. Like there's a lot of engines, which are the people who are working inside and, and then the people who watch the show and, and everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, uh, you know, uh, that tight knit group of people, and usually um, a lot of uh, the same people that you encounter and and work with, um, so it makes it a little bit easier. So, it's good. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's good. So um, let's start the interview if you if you want to. Yeah. Sure. All right. So uh, the first question that I always do to like, that I always ask to my guests is, how did music get into your life? Uh, well, it was very prominent in my family. So my dad was a um, uh, played uh, in a band in the you know fifties and sixties, and used to open up for a big band called the Dave Clark Five. I don't know. He used to play around, and so they were like a big uh, big band in the U.S. And he would tour around and and do shows and do shows. And so when I came into the mix, they were still doing band practices and stuff in the basement, and it just seemed awesome. Like what are these drums and what is this, these microphones and all that stuff. So that was one side of it on my mom's side of the family, always extremely musical. Uh, my grandpa had a radio show. So that was awesome to watch, uh, go down to the basement and he had a little, you know, a little mini studio. And I always was like, wow, what are these microphones and all these really cool things that, that, uh, were just, you know, to like an eight year old or a seven year old would you'd be like, what is this? And then, then you, you put on pretend, uh, shows and stuff oh i see my uh damish has joined us hey damish how are you buddy so um uh so then i i basically um took it from there and then i it just was so prominent growing up that i i uh i really wanted to i, I felt like you know i wanted to play something so i started playing drums and and trying to you know be, be become a, a rock star as they say and and uh, that was sort of like the beginning of the of the journey for me it was music uh, mm -hmm. through the family, always music at Christmas and always music at at uh, various kind of things uh, and family gatherings. And it just it, it rubs off on you and you you just take it from there and kind of run with it. So that's how the mm -hmm. music side started for me. Yeah. Cool. So you you can say that all the cool, cool stuff is started in basements. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think almost every single musician you're going to speak uh, speak to has started in a basement or in their room or or in front of a mirror with a tennis racket, whatever it's going to be. There was some there was some kind of uh, thing that set the tone for what they wanted to do, and that mm -hmm. you know, to me, would have been just watching all this amazing music around me at all times. Mm -hmm. And having like. <laughs> So having uh, like such a musical family uh, from both sides, uh, did you know from uh, from the beginning that you wanted to be part of the music industry? So when you're young, you don't know what the music industry is. You just know that you want to do it. But I was always into, um, I'm always a big fan of, uh, I, I used to read magazines where they would break down records. They would break down how they made albums, you know, oh. and like, oh, this is the first track and this is, uh when i this is how we made the song or this is you know this is our thought process and i remember uh when i started reading liner notes on albums that's when i started kind of going what is a producer what, you know what what's an engineer yeah. 
like, you know, how did they, what's ASCAP, what's Sony, what's, you know, BMI, like, what are all these different, like, music licensing things? I started researching it, obviously, well before the internet. You had to get that information, like, by reading. <laughs> In the library but, or something? But, yeah. yeah, so then it was just one of those things where I, 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 uh, slowly moved into like it was always like being a band and break it you know and and i liked i loved reading album stories about how they were made and, and things like that and and uh it just led to being in a band and then and uh and being in a band for years with some great guys and and that and and it was amazing to be a part of that and that really set the tone because then you could start seeing all the other jobs in the music industry and that's when i was like yeah that for sure i want to be in this for the rest of my life so mm -hmm. so did you play any instruments yeah i was a drummer in my past life <laughs> in my past life <laughs> i was a drummer in my past life yeah and uh every now and again i can i can get behind them and uh and uh you know still carry a little bit of a beat but it's just a beat to me now at this point but it's fun. <laughs> yeah i always say that uh, both uh drummers and bassists have like seven lives <laughs> well you know you're gonna find too that there's a lot of drummer and bass player jokes but you're also gonna find that a lot of drummers and bass players uh uh are the ones tasked with getting things done a lot so there's a bit of that mm -hmm. too so because yeah you know, it's just like You know, often uh, uh, there was a joke. Uh, everyone laughs when a drummer comes to the table and says, "Well, I, I wrote a song," and they go, "Well, that's nice." But, you know, guitar players. Can say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are so many. Like, there are like, so many like, jokes. Like, you know, unless you know, there's a lot of a lot of different things. A lot of great great people in different roles. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I was never like a great drummer. I I was able to get by, but um, for sure there was that feeling that um, maybe this side of the world running concerts and tour managing and things like that was probably mm -hmm. more where I was going to end up because uh, it's mm -hmm. 10,000 hours. I've put 10,000 hours into running concerts, but I haven't put, I, you know, I might've put 10,000 hours into drumming, but to become a better drummer, taking lessons, things like that, it was just kind of full on frantic, go play punk rock, have some fun and have a great time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, uh, I never really focused on becoming like the best drummer. And I think that's, um, that in the end, uh, you kind of go where your strengths are. And, and it was mm -hmm. this way. Yeah. Uh, we got, uh, our, uh, Hoogie just joined. It's Hoogie's birthday. So Hoogie. happy birthday. Uh, happy birthday. Hoogie. He just joined us here. Yeah. Hoogie's a great guy. Another amazing candidate for your show. So you need to, uh, Hoogie, uh, check out, uh, live versus live and, uh, and have, uh, and try to get yourself on here. Yeah. But, uh, 100%, yeah. man. <laughs> great guy. Happy, happy birthday. I see him all over the world. He's a great guy. So great guy. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, coming back to the interview, um, what was then your first job in the music industry? So what I ended up doing is, um, while playing in a band, we tried to get on all these shows all the time. Right. And so what ended up happening was, is um, I was given an opportunity to start putting on my own concerts. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went and, and, um, the first thing I, I started, I was in college. I started volunteering a lot. So I started volunteering at that live concerts, which is extremely important for anyone getting into it. You got to get yourself you know you got to volunteer as much as possible mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff that happened when i was volunteering at the beginning of my career which was like 94 95 those people are still in my life they're wow, still running shows so so one of the first tour managers that i ever met a guy named fab uh, fabby 
uh, he does what I do. We travel around and run concerts and we, you know, he does what I do now. And we still, we're in touch like, you know, at least once a month just to say hi, but I met him in like 93, you know, Ooh. so I was volunteering, I was volunteering at, a um, at concerts and that was technically the first job concerts and clubs. There was a club in my hometown, uh, that I used to go and volunteer at and help push equipment and push gear. And, um, you know, it was a big thing for me at 18 years old to like, load in a band's gear especially a band that you liked i don't know mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, yeah. Sort of thing. and uh that led to meeting tour managers and uh and our band was playing a lot and we were putting on concerts and then we were we were opening up a lot of the concerts so that was really cool and then those tour managers kind of started being like hey uh what are you doing right now i need a tour manager which is funny because i think that's where i first met hoogie who just joined us i thought oh. I, think I met him managing a, a band in chatham or something like that but um yeah so that's kind of where it started it started as a tour manager that was kind of my first job was taking some some bands that were just developing and going across canada with them and uh, managing their daily life on the road which in essence all the people that i met on that first tour uh i still work with today so Oh, that's amazing. And um, did you actually learn how to be a tour manager, let's say, on the road? Or did they like teach you before or something? No, you're on the road. You basically, you know, thankfully, I had a, a manager that was kind of guiding me. I had agents that, that that was a friend of mine that was like, you know, just make sure they get to the gig. Make sure the accounting is good. No one dies. No one gets anybody pregnant. <laughs> Like, that's a good point make sure, you know uh but also you know you're you're representing the band out there like as far as you're the first point of contact for a lot of tour manager or for a lot of like promoter reps like me or you know they want to you never talk to the band you talk to their lighting guy or their audio guy or their audio guy or their tour manager mm-hmm. so you're the first part of first point of contact so you have to be um on it you got to be you know have you i've met a lot of guys that that aren't on it i still deal with a lot of tour managers uh you know on the smaller side that that aren't on it but uh you got to just be you have to be on top of your game as best as you can and you kind of learn as you go mm-hmm. and then you take on different roles because in canada for instance it's really tough to be just a tour manager you have to be able to mm-hmm. mix the band be able to do uh audio or lighting and stuff and that's really really tough uh to mm-hmm. be a tour manager in Canada for a, a smaller band. Oh, really anywhere in the world for a smaller band when yeah. you're, when you're mixing them and you're, you know, advancing the show calling and, and getting all the things done. Plus you're driving and you're, you know, so it's a tough, it's a tough gig, but it really mm-hmm. helps you lay the foundation for your career. And a lot of tour managers, uh, make the best promoter reps. So what I do now, a lot of, a lot of tour managers can slide right into that role. Really, really easy. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so when you did like, uh, you were touring at first just in Canada and when was the point, like, how did it happen that you stopped just touring in Canada and you started traveling all around the world? So first thing was I, I moved to Vancouver and, uh, I, all those guys that I had, I was in Toronto, from Toronto, but I had moved to Vancouver and all the guys that I had met on the first tour that I'd gone on. Um, were working for House of Blues concerts at the time in Vancouver. Live Nation had just purchased uh, or merged with House of Blues and bought mm-hmm. them. And the guys that I had known um, that you know were promoter reps uh, when I was tour managing had called me and said, "Hey, 
we're going to go from 200 shows a year to 800 shows in Western Canada. So we need to train some guys up. Are you interested? So I, I said a hundred percent. It's all, I, I actually, I, all I ever wanted to do was work for house of blues, live nation. It used to be universal concerts. When I was like 18, 19 and in college, I was working towards working for that company. So it was a dream come true for me to get a chance to do that. So it started by working shows locally in Vancouver at a club level, learning load in where to park the cars, uh, working with the budget, how you, you know, work with a, a, a band that's only getting paid $500, but you have to, you know, you've got a, a $5,000 budget for the show for rent and, and catering and, and marketing and all these kind of things. And so you have to learn how it works at that club level. And then you get an opportunity to move to theater level. And then it's a small theater, then a small arena and then a bigger arena. And then you get to go start going. I uh, started going across Western Canada. So that went on for a few years. And then around 2012 or 2013, uh, one of uh, my mentors and one of the guys who really brought me along uh, started running uh, a touring, like started helping with the touring division uh, across the world with Live Nation and uh, had asked me if I'd be interested in coming over and doing, you know, one or two tours a year in Europe. And that was around, I think it was around 2012 or 2013, where I was like, okay, here we go. It's a whole new thing. I've never been to any of these venues. I've never been to anything, but thankfully there was an infrastructure in place and you just kind of, you take the fundamentals of what you learned from club theater uh, level here in Canada. And it kind of crosses over all over the world. It's just a different language or it's a different kind yeah. of rules for, for labor and crew, but you just, you, you make it work and that's what happened. So that was around 2012, 2013 after about five years, in Canada, across Western Canada, doing clubs, theaters, and small arenas. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what, that's what actually that's what started getting uh, really, really busy for me. So this is this is amazing. <laughs> actually, Eva, I have a question. Uh, you mentioned the language. How do you deal with that? Like when you are imagine in Asia, how how do you like communicate with? Oh, I've never been, I've never been to Asia outside of. My oh. wife is Chinese, and I've, I've been to Southern China uh, a bunch. But, but, uh, uh, well, generally speaking, there's a local representative in every market. Mm-hmm. So, so there's one of me in every market that is mm-hmm. fluent in usually. So, in general, like I've never done a show in any market where someone there didn't speak English that could translate what we're trying to do. So, if that's the case, where your crew, everything is in French and mm-hmm. no one speaks a lick of English except for your rep that's local in Paris, then you do everything through that rep and then you show up and communicate with that person for that day. And then, you know, the more times you go over, the more times you start recognizing people and then the more people you start working with that are the same. And then you just build a rapport. So that's the idea about consistently going over is now I'm pretty much working with the same people in every market now. Mm-hmm. So. Got it. And it's now no, that we no than, it's no different than say across Canada, like it's the same person in Winnipeg, it's the same person in Calgary or Edmonton. It's usually the same people in all those markets. That's mm-hmm. the same. In, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah. And now that we're talking about touring reps, uh, what do you actually do in your current job? So there's a lot of factors in it. So there's a lot of different roles attached to it. Um, Generally speaking, um, you are part of a tour from inception. 
So we have reps that you know like that are in on you know from ticketing that basically come in and they help build it from from a ticketing standpoint they're in you know they're they're uh, uh you basically take the idea of the tour uh the ticketing team comes in uh, all the different departments come in and kind of build the concert and then you know it's it's basically handed over to me to to, to connect all the departments and then I go out and basically from we we review every single market that we're going into uh we keep an eye on ticketing we keep an eye on um on um how how it's doing overall how sales are doing how you know it's any production issues they come through me as far as like oh we have to this market we can't do pyro or this market we have to reduce the size of the show because it's it doesn't fit into the building or it's just it's just basically taking all the departments in essence it's taking all the departments bringing them together and overseeing it on behalf of the company and then mm-hmm. all their own little things so we've got a great ticketing person she does so much for us uh over in europe uh she'd be another great guest but then she does so much for us in, in europe and some people are more involved in that that front on ticketing other times it's mm-hmm. just handed over uh, and the ticketing has already been kind of taken care of. There's, okay. there's so many kind of factors, but the, the core of it is in essence, bringing all the departments together, connecting the dots, um, it, answering all the questions, building the tour based out on, on what the production manager is designing for the, for the act, mm-hmm. talking to our local team in every market to see if it's going to work. Uh, communicating with the buyers of the tour to make sure if there's any issues, uh, communicating with ticketing, trying to open up more seats on a daily basis, uh, making sure there's no security issues. But, like there's just, it's basically all encompassing. Uh, and then hopefully by the time you get to the show, uh, it's running smooth. Mm-hmm. All the work is done yeah. preliminary before you get there. So in essence, you're putting out you might be opening more tickets. There's maybe a couple of daily things that you have to kind of deal with, but hopefully all the work that you've put in prior to the tour leads to a smooth tour. You know, you just mm-hmm. never know what's going to get thrown at you, but it, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and do you believe um, the way of building tours, let's say, like creating tours has changed since the beginning, that you, since the moment that you started? Well, I mean, so the core of any tour that I've run, whether it be from a theater or a club tour or as a tour manager, in essence, it's the same. The band wants to go out. They need a place to play. So it gets routed, you know, so it's going to go London. It's going to go to Birmingham. It's going to go, you know, wherever it's going to go, Paris, we're going to. You know, you're going to see the same kind of routing and for the most mm-hmm. part. Core of touring uh, ha- is in essence the same. The band wants to go out. This is what how much money they want. These are the, you know, we're going to, the agents and the buyers will try to route it and then they hand it over and we go run and try to make it work. A lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of things change from the, 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 you know, like with VIP packages and the, there's all these different kind of things that, that are built within the touring world or built within the show. But the core of the show is band wants to go on tour, has an yeah. album to promote agents, buyers, uh, production people get together to find out all the best markets to put those in. They put them in 
and then we go run it. So anything else around that, it's going to change all the time. You're going to have a new VIP package. You're going to have a virtual experience. You're mm-hmm. going to have something on your phone. All the little tiny things will consistently change over the years. But the core of it is mm-hmm. band goes on tour, band needs a place to play, person buys ticket, band plays, band leaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it. That, that, that was so like, I love it. It was so schematical and like, like it, the adults, it's like, it makes sense like it's it's the same that when you were uh doing gigs back in canada i guess at the beginning of everything that it was like a band that wanted to go on tour because they were promoting it um as a cd or an album or whatever it's just it, it really becomes a venue thing because it becomes availability like when it's obviously we're in a different time right now and things have shut down for a little while but if you, if you reverse back to just even september or august or something like that loads of bands want to go on tour loads of bands need to find a venue to play so they mm-hmm. can't go play those venues if they're booked by other tours right that's just the core of it so they have to build around what's already built so that is the same and it, it's but in essence this it's practically the same routing in europe mm-hmm. what are the same venues in australia at the same kind of pace Pe- professionals and people have been doing it for years and years and have worked out the just the fastest best way to do it so you're not doing unless you're touring in canada which is like eight to you know can be like eight hours in between shows it's yeah. more like it's it's you know but it's you, you go you know vancouver Kelowna, edmonton calgary or you mm-hmm. go Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Regina, like it's the same kind of cadence. So in, in Europe, it's this, it's kind of the same thing where it's yeah. you start maybe in Spain and you come back or you start, uh, you know, you start in London and go that way or you start, mm-hmm. like, there's just so, or you just focus on one region like the UK and then you switch and go to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, France. Yeah. They're kind of the same. They kind of all flow the same, really. Is it is it that because it reduces costs? So it's already studied by someone that says, okay, so it's probably more beneficial for us to go from this city to this city than going from like this city to this city. No, it doesn't. Excuse me, it doesn't always work like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. sometimes a fourteen-hour drive up to come back to where you started to go over because just the way the routing and the way the the venue availability was. But um, in essence. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of work put into it. And just the sheer uh, enormity of a tour, you know, when you're trying to move anywhere between 8 to 20 trucks around the world or around, you know, you want to do it as efficiently as possible. You want to spend the least amount of gas. You want to spend, you know, uh, you don't want to be putting, you know, try not to be putting your crew through, you know, loading out at 2 in the morning, uh, driving 4 hours and loading back in at 6 in the morning every single day like there's sort of like there is a yeah. bit of a cadence to it uh that works efficiently from a financial standpoint uh, effectively for your crew and labor and and what's what you know that there's been a lot of thought that's gone into that you know mm-hmm. so, so many yeah. minds thinking at the same time i love it <laughs> way, smarter mind, way smarter minds than me i'll tell you but yes. <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you something about like your let's say um, a tour life so like the, the touring life uh what do you prefer the first day of a tour or the last one 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a good question. Um, the first day of the tour is always a bit frantic because um, you, in essence, are, this is, you know, if you've done your job, you're, you're meeting everybody, you're excited to see how the show is going to go. You kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, I see now, I get it. So I always love, uh, I always love the first day of a tour. Um, hey, Drew. What's up, buddy? Uh, I always love uh, the first day of a tour because it really is the culmination of everything you've been working on for three months prior to. And you meet everybody, and especially if it's a tour where you know a lot of people. So if you know a tour manager already, you've already been out with them, a production manager, a lighting guy, a front of house guy, or a guitar tech that's a buddy of yours, or a monitor guy, you're like, oh, this is going to be great. These guys are awesome. They've hired the right people. So you kind of go into it knowing that it's going to be, you know, as smooth as uh, everyone's worked together to try to make it as smooth as possible. The last day of the tour, uh, is not necessarily as frantic, but on the touring side, it can be because they've got to pack up all their gear. They've got to ship it somewhere. They've got to do stuff. So you really have to be dialed in leading into the last day or try to be wrapping up as much as you can into the last day, because getting anyone's attention on that last day, when the tour is done, people go home. They don't want to talk about it. So, like, if you've got any outstanding accounting that has to be done, or or um, any kind of touring that's like any kind of issues that it's it's tougher to get guys to respond to you a week after, or a couple of days after, because they just want to turn their brain off and go away. So, hey, Helen's here. Hi, Helen. Yeah, she is. Hey. Hi, Helen. <laughs> um, so, um it's tougher to Helen would be able to answer that question really well. Cause her, she's 100%. She's, uh, she's 100%. But I, uh, I think for me personally, uh, I like the first day of the tour over the last day of the tour. Cause the last day of the tour, especially if, if it's not a tour that's going to continue and you're not going to see the people for a year, it can be a little bit like, ah, you know, we just spent two months together and now we won't see you for a year. The beginning of the tour is more the fruits of, your work uh, the culmination of everything and all the departments coming together so for me it's a little bit more um i'm more excited about the first day of a tour yeah you know so uh, do you actually like uh on the on, on the first day when you're packing your things to go on the first day of your tour how does it feel well i mean i have a family so obviously it's a bit oh. it's you know they as we lead into leaving it's a bit um it's a bit like okay well i'm going away for maybe two months or six weeks or three months and so there's always a little bit of like do i have everything am i good and then then the home it's like are we set are we good here is everyone comfortable are we ready to, you know it's is school in do we have a bit of a routine already in place kids are a little bit older now so like it's a bit easier now but i've come through like i've been touring their whole life and that's you know a while so there's been all these different kind of scenarios of like where am i going and when do i see you again and things like that so 
it's a little tougher on that side because you, in essence, are going. Now, if you've been home for a long time, <laughs> like usually everyone's, everyone's usually like, when are you going on tour? When's it? Can we drive you to the airport? You know, we know that you're not going to be going till Friday, but do you want to go on Monday just to be there? Like, so, you know, there's a bit of that. Uh, yeah, they, they are like kicking you out slowly, like really. <laughs> you know, where it gets a little bit different is when you're, when you come like last year, uh, like for instance, when I was on Chris Brown and then I, I was supposed to come home and then I got a call like two days before I was supposed to come home to stay out with Rihanna. And that was going to put me for another six weeks. And I'd already been gone for six weeks. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta stay up for six more weeks, but it's like, you know, 30 stadium shows. So yeah, it's like, you have to do exactly. what you have to do for, for your career, actually, right? So. Yeah. Is that actually like mental healthy? Like doing, well, like, so what do you think? Like, mentally, it's tough. Mentally, it can be tough. You have to, uh, <sighs> a lot of people struggle with touring. Um, and I, I don't blame them. I mean, you're away from home. It's a, it's a bit of a thing. Um, I did a bit of a piece, obviously, you know, I have the podcast as well where I talk a little bit about, um, you know, it's, it's had four different modules, but I've had, uh, I did when I did the music section of the podcast. I really wanted to focus on mental health and how we were all doing in the business. And mm. you know, not everyone is good. Not everyone wants to go home. Some some people for some people home is on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, some people, you know, uh, being home is very difficult. It's more difficult than being on the road. You know, because you have to just to. Oh my god! I haven't had any, I haven't had to do anything responsible for you know for for a while but now i have so there's a bit of there's a bit of like um uh mentally it can be tough you've got to really i always find i always i always liken to going on tour as getting ready for like a fight like a boxer getting ready to go on a fight so i always like for six weeks like i try to you know you try to be as healthy as i can and and do what i can do to prep but um, you know, say for sure for the six weeks leading into a tour, I up everything. I up my, you know, I up my, 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 my gym as much as I can. I up my, um, you know, I don't drink anymore. So it's like, I just, I'm trying to do all these things to like be as strong as I can be mentally to go on tour and physically, because after six weeks, no matter what you do, you're never going to get to the gym as much as you want. Uh, you're never going to eat properly as you know, you'll eat a lot. So you gotta be like, you know, you can be back you can be up 30 pounds. After coming back so that's all of it. Like it's, it's, the mental side of it is there's so much, you're not getting enough sleep. You're not, um, getting, uh, you know, if, uh, if you've got any kind of lingering health issues, you know, it's tougher to get help out on the road. You know what I mean? Sore back, yeah. but you got to, you got the migraines all the time. If you there's so many factors that the road doesn't care about. So if you yeah. go out, you've got to. I I feel like you've got to be, you got to prep and try to get yourself to a to a, a good spot to mm -hmm. uh, to be able to take on six weeks of getting punched because that's what yeah. it is in essence. It's, it's you're just mm -hmm. getting you're getting hammered down, hammered down. No sleep. You're like tired and you got to get up and do another 16 hour day and it's like it, it's it can be a little grueling 
Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. What's actually the longest that you've been on, in a tour for? Uh, well, I mean, three, I think I did three months and then I did last summer I was out and then I went out and then I went out. So I went out in Europe and then I got, had to fly from London to start, uh, corn and Alice in Chains in America. And then while I was out on corn and Alice in Chains in America, they asked me to stay out to do game of Thrones. I was gone from April till basically Labor Day. So September. Oh. So. May, That's June, July, August. It was like three and a half, four months of, of being out in a row. I'll do six to eight months, six to eight months a year. On a really, really busy year, I'll do like eight months out of the 12. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe nine. But generally speaking, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're out for two months, uh, you know, six weeks, two months, three months at a time, whatever. There's, there's, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, what do you think if you had to give like, uh, um, how do you say uh, a tip to someone again that wants to go going to touring? What would be your the best tip that you can give them? Well, uh, it comes back to what I started with, which was like volunteering and finding out. You know, you may want to be like I want to mix bands and be front of house, or I want to be in lighting, or I want to be a tour manager. But you have to research it. Like those jobs, they just don't yeah. get away. You have to find out how to do that. So the best way to do that is to volunteer. So if you're in London go volunteer at a club be like hey uh or yeah. get, try to get on the crew try to become part of the union and get in and 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 load in and and learn about how shows and things work volunteer at management companies volunteer at uh, record labels if they still exist but just the, the 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 people with the moving parts volunteer with them because you know almost every volunteer that I've met that has had any kind of like drive to do it I st are in the business now. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you just have to, you have to zone in on what you want to do. And if you want to, if you're lighting, that's it. You want to be lighting. Well, that's easy. Go to a lighting company and volunteer mm -hmm. and learn every single thing that there is to know about lighting. And then, you know, you become like that person. That's like, well, that person's been volunteering at every single show. Uh, they know how to do this. They know how to do that. Like, let's give them a job. And that's, no one's handing them out right now. So you really have to, you really have to, I, I'm always a proponent of volunteering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Volunteer. I like that. Yeah. It's, it's it, I've had like a, a tips of every single kind um, from, from volunteering to just talk to people. And, and, and I think it gets to the same place that it, you just need to go out there and, and let people know about you, I guess. What do you, what's your sort of goal personally? Like, what are you trying to get into? Oh, my, me, me. Oh, I would love to become a stage manager. Um, or yeah, I, I would love to get into touring to be honest. Uh, but yeah, right now, uh, when, when the, when live music shut down, I was, I was supposed to start this year, um, try get myself a job into what I wanted to do. Uh, but obviously everything shut down. So I said, okay, so how, how do I meet people now? How do I talk, uh, talk to them? And I, and I said, well, I like Instagram. I'm always on Instagram. <laughs> And and I met Eva like I think it was last year. So I asked her, and she was super like excited about the the idea and the show. And she came, and then she started like just calling people out and and telling yeah, them about it. Eva, 
uh, is, is amazing. So she's great. There's Brent Hodson just joined us. Another Brent. He's, yes. Uh, Hello. Abbott, <laughs> hey, Brent, I'm in Matt's sound booth. Just so you know, buddy. So, um, it's sound booth. I've They're seen it. Awesome. It's big. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, from a stage managing standpoint, like, I mean, there's a, many definitions of that. Is it theater? Is it concerts? Is it festivals? Like, there, you can start stage manager and just start writing all these bubbles around what that's going to be. But, yep. you know, stage manager also leads to production assistant, production manager, production coordinator. There's so many, like, jobs that come out of stage manager because yeah. is, you build a festival and do it. So, when that world returns... um, there's not a shortage of jobs for people that want to do that. You know what I mean? Cause not everyone wants to, most people want that glamorous, like touring and get on this and get on the bus. There's stage managers within a tour. There's, you know, so yeah. you do a good rapport and make sure when a tour comes to a building that you're volunteering at or a building that you're working at, and they know that you've done this amazing job when they're looking to hire somebody in, um, uh, when they're looking to hire somebody in London that they, or to go on tour in Europe, they might be like, Hey, she was awesome. Let's call her and see what she's doing. And, you know, there's Q. Yep. Q Mr. Q just joined us from New Hello. York city. Great guy. <laughs> Another great candidate. There's so many great candidates coming on here. That'd be great for your show. Awesome. 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 100% guys. Just heat my DMS and just tell me and I'll put you in the show. <laughs> awesome. mm. So, um, now that we're talking about, uh, I, we were talking a bit about your podcast, but I want to get more into it because I really like the idea. It's very similar to, to, to what I do, more or less. But anyways, where did the idea come from? Well, I was uh, touring around um, trying to, you know, I was just trying coffee and all that. This is a weird thing, but I was trying to find the best coffee in the world, right? Really? But I, was doing, I was doing these little things where I was filming on Instagram stories where i would be like today's coffee brought to you by and i would pan out to the eiffel tower or today's coffee brought to you by and i'd pan out to london tower or whatever it was and then it started turning into this fun thing where people were like well where's today's coffee from and mm -hmm. the fun thing is is that i was new to coffee i'd only started drinking coffee a couple <laughs> years ago so people were amazed that i was even drinking it so it was just this funny kind of thing and it turned into like people wanting to see it so then i a buddy of mine runs a, a media network out of toronto and it said hey listen you should start documenting your journey around the world running concerts and trying to find coffee and i said well no one wants to hear me yatter on so i don't know if it's going to work they said just start with like a story so i started writing a story about coffee assholes and which coffee asshole are you which is like <laughs> you know, what level what level of coffee asshole are you do you wear a, an apron do you wear this you wear that and it was this funny kind of thing where we where I actually turned it into a 10 part uh, series. And as I was having more fun with it, and the fact that I wasn't, as mentioned, like I, hadn't, I wasn't drinking anymore or anything. So I was kind of like in my room, in my hotel room, going, why don't I try to get creative? So then I started turning it into coffee stories and meeting, and then I was meeting bands and musicians that had a coffee brand. And I was like, okay, I think I can. I can run with this. So I had Ray from like corn on and Dave from Megadeth. And we were talking about their coffee brand. And then roasters started reaching out to me. And then I got Tim, oh. Wendell, who I reached out to, who is like one of the best roasters in the world. 
And I was like, this is actually turning into something. And I was getting a lot of listeners. And then I said to myself, but I can't fill a hundred episodes of coffee. Nor will anyone anyone want to listen to it. So one of the guys I was on tour with this summer had said, you know, why don't you add some stuff to your podcast from the standpoint of like other subjects? And I was like, yeah, I was thinking about it. I just didn't know. And then I basically honed in on, well, coffee, music, I'm traveling and I'm meeting a lot of life people with great life stories. So why don't I just turn it into a four part module? Mm -hmm. And so I did 10 on coffee, 10 on music. Uh, I'm in, I'm almost done travel and then I'll switch to life next, which is really great life stories. Very similar to what we're doing right now. Yeah. And just talking about, you know, um, the different things that people are bringing to the world. And it's just been kind of a great creative outlet for me, uh, especially through COVID and all these different things where the world is shut down. It's been great to be able to create new content and different things Mm -hmm. for people to, Mm to, uh, to listen to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I love this. It's such a cool story. Uh, it was, how is it? It's, it's kind of similar because uh, before um, getting Eva into the show, I was interviewing my friends and, and, and the people I knew, uh, basically, I, some people from uh, the UK, some people from Spain. And I was just like, uh, talking to them about life, about the topics that we cared about, like, uh, and the whole, um, LGBT movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, everything that was going on at, at the moment, like the pandemic too. And then someone told me, why don't you invite like someone that's inside the music industry? Because that's what you want to do at the end. Uh, because my friends were songwriters, producers, artists. And, and I was like, well, that's a actually a really good idea. So yeah, I, it was at the end of the day, it's people who tell you like, huh, I had this idea. Like, why don't you do yeah, this? You just kind of pull a lot of different ideas. Dusty, another Dusty's in the house. Dustin, hi, buddy. Um, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people pull, uh, will suggest different stories and different ways to, you know, hey, you should do this and you should do that. And the great thing about the podcasting side is I never really had never done, I had never done it before. I'd started doing it on my phone. Now I have some gear. Now. you do you do <laughs> I, I still have like i have to get to your level there is there like <laughs> this level costs me 20 bucks so don't worry about it. there's no level so it's just a matter of like just trying to you know with the content the way it's going and just putting out stuff and i was finding that that the the pods that i was doing were resonating with people mm-hmm. so it was kind of one of those things where you know i, I did you know did one with as i said dave from megadeth and people were like wow i didn't know he had his own coffee or i or tim wendelboe when we talked coffee about sustainability and and you know what the farmers are going through that mm-hmm. people were like i had no clue or mental health you know or or you know like i had um uh barry from shine down the drummer from shine down on and, and that band's been through a lot and just people just telling that story it just was really cool to kind of be um able to tell these little stories and uh, people seem to resonate with them, so it's a lot of fun. It's it. a great way to it's a great way to stay creative. Mm-hmm. Awesome! And uh, now that we're coming to the end, we've got like ten minutes left. Uh, well, people, uh, like everyone who's watching, if you have any questions for Brenton, just leave them here, and I'll read them to him. Um, and also, just wanted to ask you about what we're going through, like the pandemic, live music shut, shutting down, and uh, and all of this. Like, where do you think we're headed? Well, I mean, obviously the whole world, it's not just the concert industry, the whole world has, you know, uh, has just stopped. And I think that, um, 
it will get back on track. It's just um, people don't know. You get answers um, when someone has the flu, you know, mm. generally what that means. Or when someone, uh, you know, has a, a sore stomach, they, you know, they have this. Or someone has a cold or a cough. People kind of self-diagnose and they can kind of figure it out. The spread of it, um, no one really knows what it means. Like, no one really knows, like, what it's going to mean in the big picture. So I think what people start being more comfortable with, um, dare I say vaccine, I don't, vaccine isn't necessarily going to solve everything, I don't believe. But I, I do think that people don't want to be in these giant group settings just yet until they realize that you know that their health or their their well-being is re- is being taken care of and i there is a bit of like yeah heavy propaganda on some things i mean i've been through it so i know uh how it feels to go through it obviously i, I oh yeah you did yeah you told me I, I was one of the first cases of it and uh and i i'm fine but i'm still having some lingering issues and um and that was on a minor case so if it was a bigger case um, I think that you would, you know, you'd have some serious problems because it's not just the flu. So I think what people need to understand is that um, it, it it really is like it is kind of a thing. And I think people uh, want the world to get back to normal. And I certainly am in, uh, in, uh, would love the world to get back to normal. But concerts and things like that are are going to be last on the list. And I and I think that um, there's a lot of people working towards making that happen. Uh, there's a lot of bands. Um, that want to get out and do it but you know it's i don't think it can reset when you can only have seven venues that you can go to yeah that's true and everything has to that's what i touched on earlier like it's just not cost effective to go to put a tour together for 10 shows and then leave and put all that infrastructure together you really have to you know you really have to um have the ability to go out for six weeks and do some Mm -hmm. stuff and i think when you see you know, shows happening and people coming out of it and there's not really any reports of people getting sick and and all that stuff. I think you're going to start seeing it get back to normal a little bit and there's going to be new measures in place and, you know, you're getting into the venue is going to be longer and there's going to be new different, like, things to, like, experience, you know, that, that you didn't have to. But the world changes and we just adapt and, you know, the, the airports changed after September 11th. Concerts are going to change after after this large group gatherings the way people kind of hang out so i'm just kind of patiently waiting and and uh i have all the faith in the world that um it will get figured out mm-hmm. uh, a lot of smart people working mm-hmm. towards it um yeah. but it comes it comes down to the buying public and it comes down to what people are comfortable with doing so mm-hmm. yeah yeah at the end of the day they are the audience so if there's no audience there's no gig <laughs> Right. So, I mean, what does that mean? And when, when you know, who gets permission to put 10,000 people in a building first? We will see. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing sports come back. We're seeing some things come back. So I am encouraged that there will be uh, something uh, down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the music heals. So it brings people together. It has forever and ever and ever. And I, I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer that it's gonna be the exact same thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. people just need to know what that's going to look like. And we're all waiting to see what that's going to look like. Yeah. And uh, one of my last questions is, what do you miss the most about touring? Well, I love my job. So for me, it's just like, 
it's just doing the job. I mean, you meet some amazing people and this is the part for me that's like, I've got some great people all over the world. So when you go to Paris, you can go to the coffee at the same place or you, you know, you go to Amsterdam and you, you meet the same people or you go to Sweden, I, whatever it is. It's the, the people is a big thing. Um, but for me, it's the work that you put in prior to going and running the tour and having it end. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I miss the, I just miss that flow because there's so many factors that go into putting it together. There's so many factors that happen while it's happening. And then, you know, you, you move on to the next one and there's a nice, it's, it's like building a car. You build the car and then the car leaves and then the car goes and drives and then it, it drives until it. And, and I just feel like I'm missing that. Okay. That tour is done. And now we're building this tour and then I'm going to start that one and we're going to go to the next one. And then, Seeing, you know, obviously the music, I'm such a, such a, such a, such an, uh, such a uh, huge fan of music that watching live shows and live bands every night. And yes, I love Helen's um, comment. <laughs> yeah, he misses sharing an office with me and I miss his great playlists. <laughs> That's cute. Music, I've, got, I've got music going in the office at all times. And I miss the music. I miss watching live music. I mean, I spent last summer with Corn and Alice and Chains. Oh. I saw Alton Chains every single night. You know, I saw Jerry, Jerry Cantrell walking backstage with an acoustic guitar, playing the whole Jar of Flies record while he was just warming up. I'm like, what? Like, it's that, that kind of stuff. And like that people understand. I, uh, I missed, um, you know, just all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I was out, uh, in the fall and I was able to sneak away and say, see Helen. Right. Helen was on tour and she was only an hour away from me. I was able to go out there and say hi and spend the day watching, a, a, you know, one of my favorite bands and stuff like that. And, um, and I just, I miss that. The music, the music side of it is really tough. because I love live music. I love concerts. I love watching bands do their thing. And I love 12,000 people or 15,000 people in an arena getting exactly what they want. When that house light goes, when the house lights go out, that's like the greatest feeling in the world, you know? It's amazing. Yeah. It's really well, it's been amazing, Brenton. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. I, th- I think you're doing a great thing here. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> I'm trying my best. And a lot of guests uh, that are going to be on here that uh, you're going to learn a lot from too. There's a lot of... 100 Hopefully when this thing gets back to normal and uh, when I get back to London, we can all do this in person. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's do little. Coffee. Yeah, let's go for a coffee. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. So, all right. So, thank you so much, everyone who watched uh, the show as well. And yeah, thank you so much, Brendan. I'll see you then. <laughs> all right. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Bye. bye. See you. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. 
The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.